Who gave me permission to do this? <laughs> oh my god. On today's episode, we talk business with Raphael Mavi. We hate what we can't understand. Or if we're not sold ourselves on the idea of whatever we believe in, we are afraid to sell it. Welcome to Stupid Wise Girl, the podcast for everyone and anyone who is seeking their purpose, who wants to change but might feel stuck. Whether it's a relationship or a career, we as individuals make stupid mistakes, although our wiser, higher self always knew better. We must get to a place where we can accept our stupid and move forward into our wise. Here is your host, Jackie Minsky. Hey, lovies. Welcome, welcome. Episode 15, welcome back to Stupid Wise Girl, the podcast. Today's episode is really great for anyone who might be starting a business or maybe currently running a business. I got a chance to sit down with CEO of Unplugged Influence, Raphael Mavi. As you guys will hear in today's episode, Raphael is really great with teaching companies how to lead, how to train, and how to market. So this is very knowledgeable stuff in today's episode, and I did my best to make sure I asked as many great questions for all of you as I possibly could. And at the end of our interview, Raphael actually told me they were some pretty good questions. And coming from him, I definitely gave myself a pat on the back, and I hope you guys really, really enjoy it. Don't forget to stay tuned until the end, where you can find out all Raphael's information, his social media, and don't forget to check out his podcast, You Influence, where actually I was interviewed a few weeks back. I hope you really, really enjoy today's episode. Here is Raphael Mavi and I discussing business. I'm super excited about today's guest. He found me on social media. And interestingly enough, we do have mutual people in common. Yes. So tell everyone who you are, what you specialize in, what you do. Who I am and what I do. Uh, Rafael Mavi from New York. We immigrated here back in 1991. I was 12 years old. My background actually um, is a little weird, I would say, now that I'm you know, this age, because Understanding how money works today, when I was 12, up until that age, we had everything um, We had everything going for us as a family living back in the USSR. Uh, when I mean everything, I'm talking about as far as finances go, when the average salary uh, was 125, let's call it dollars, uh, my dad was bringing in about 25000 a month. Uh, so we had everything, everything, everything going for us, you know, like, I hate to say this, but it's the truth. All the government officials, all the cops were in my dad's back, back pocket. When we immigrated to the U.S., we came literally here with nothing. And many people ask, why didn't you bring or convert some of the money from there to here? Uh, that's a whole different story. But we literally didn't come, we came here with nothing. So standing at the JFK airport as a 12-year-old kid uh, going through customs, I noticed something very weird and that was a handout. I didn't understand why. I didn't understand how much. Then eventually I found out that was about uh, roughly $100. As a 12-year-old kid who never had to uh, work a day in his life, didn't understand what work really was unless you're an adult. Two weeks into being in New York, I went out and started doing odd jobs. Started off with like carrying bags for shoppers coming out of a grocery store. This was like December 1991. You know, and just like 
10 cents, 15 cents, a quarter here or there, uh, only because in, in my subconscious set in that we didn't have anything. Nobody told me we need money. Nobody told me, you know, we're, we're new. We don't know the language. It's a new country. It's just something that had to happen. So understanding that hustle and grind right away, I still pursued the traditional route of, you know, get an education, go to college, even though I never finished college, but I did go to college because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Um, I entered the workforce in corporate America at the age of 19, worked by Wall Street for Lockheed Martin, then transferred over and uh, worked for Montefiore Hospital in the Bronx and Yonkers for the next five years doing uh, IT networking stuff. And then uh, at 24, I read, a, I read a book. It's actually, it's interesting. It was a book that I read for the first time in my life, cover to cover. I've never read a book other than that cover to cover ever, unless it was mandatory in school. Remember the name of the book? Absolutely. It was um, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That book completely changed my paradigm, the way I was looking at work, profession, money, everything. And, uh, you know, the expression, once your mind expands to a certain degree of thinking, it will never retract back. Yes. So once my brain was already... Uh, open to the idea to the with the information in the book i started thinking differently i started looking at my work and money everything differently and uh at the age of 25 i finally said um you know i said my goodbyes with corporate america gave them a month notice and went into sales which was the complete opposite of what i was doing professionally why did i go into sales because of the financial opportunity even though i hated it and i only hated it because i didn't understand it that's really the reason that's, that's a powerful yeah. statement because people hate what they don't understand. Exactly. But I didn't know that back then. So for me, it was, it was just a process to go through. You know, eventually, years down the road, when I started doing training and I started doing speaking, that's what I really learned, that you, we hate what we can't understand. Or if we're not sold ourselves on the idea of whatever we believe in, we are afraid to sell it. So when everybody tells me that, oh, I hate sales, I don't like sales, but yeah, well, first of all, you either think of sales something different than what it actually is, or you don't understand it enough. So my sales profession, which was started off in real estate between 2005 and went into the mid-2007, um, I literally left the industry a few months before the market collapsed, not because I knew it, I'm not a genie, uh, but simply because my side hustle, which was in direct sales and MLM, uh, over, um, exceeded my real estate income. So I left the industry and I spent the next decade in, um, in MLM direct sales. Uh, that's where I learned how to properly, effectively recruit, train, do leadership development uh, training, and uh, public speaking, of course. That led me into consulting for a skincare company, which I knew nothing about, but the opportunity was there and they just wanted my training. That's all they wanted. You know, so I started doing consulting, spent a year there. Uh, we built an organization of 115 employees um, from the beginning. Uh, I mean, when I say the beginning, the interviews that we were doing prior to hiring, um, I was doing the interviews at Starbucks. Okay, literally. And because we didn't have a facility yet, it was just being built. It was right on Fifth Avenue and 48th Street in Manhattan. After a year of consulting with them, I started my own company with two other people, uh, also in the skincare, and we had 
a little over 70, 75 maybe employees there. And uh, through the process of taking direct sales and running, you know, a, a business, what I've learned is this, and th- this didn't happen by design. I would, I would love to say that it actually happened on purpose because that's the way I planned it. It didn't. It happened through trial and error. And at the end of my journey, because eventually I parted with my business partners, I've had several employees that used to work for me that I'm still friends with today. Uh, this information came from them. They said the best thing that happened by working there for you and, and business was that it was the first job where I was actually excited in the morning to wake up to and go to, not because of a paycheck, but because of the environment and the culture that you know we created. So I took note of that, and I'm like, you know what? If that's what I'm good at, because I'm very self-aware, and I know what I, I'm really bad at, and that is um, operations. Like when it comes to operations and business with uh, details and administration, um, I just bring somebody in who does it better than I do. But I noticed that because of the direct sales experience and running the businesses, the strength was in organizing well-established work culture where people are happy to, to work and strive. So I took that information and I started my own consulting company, which is now, what, two and a half years, and it's called Unplugged Influence. So what we do is we work with our clients and uh, their employees, obviously, with the entire organization, and we work on performance development, morale improvement, uh, uh, retention, all of the leadership development aspects. You and I actually discussed this on your podcast, and then you kind of just answered my question, but I'm still going to ask it anyway. So you and I agree that there are certain people that know what their passion and their purpose is, and then there are people who over time build a skill and turn that skill into their passion and learn how to make money. So you would agree that yours is something you definitely build over time. Correct. Definitely took time. Here's the thing. The word passion is a very funny word, and I think it's way overused, okay? It's the same thing in the digital space. People overuse the word content. Ten years ago, people didn't know what the hell content was. I mean, meaning it wasn't used as often as it is today. So the word passion, just because you hear certain moguls on social media talk about passion, it doesn't mean that's what it actually is when it comes to making money. Because if you take all the money away, right? If money would be no issue, what would you be doing? Would you be spending your time with, you know, um, malnourished kids or uh, kids in South Africa or wherever part of the world is where there, there is lacking education? Would you be spending your time there? Or would you be spending your time at a local church? Or would you be spending your time driving a Lamborghini? Right? So those are the things that get to us and motivate us. So if that's the passion, that's great. When it comes to work, there are very few people that are very passionate about their work. Very few. So when people talk to me about passion, I'm like, just because I'm great at something or you're great at something, it doesn't make it your passion. People confuse the two things. So you believe, so you believe that there's a difference between passion and purpose. So yes, absolutely, there's a difference, but I'm talking about separating an individual's passion for their work and what they're great at. Let me give you a great example. A business owner that starts a company 
which they absolutely believe, and obviously they wouldn't do it. Of course, they're doing it for the money, right? But they're also very good at what they do, and they love their company. But the goal, let's say in 10, 15, 20 years, is not to stay married to the business, but to sell off, yeah. right? So you build it to a big enough, and then a, a large company, like a Fortune 500 company comes in, and it scoops you up for $2 billion. Would you sell? Most of them say yes. Does that make them not passionate about that business? You see what the difference is? It's not the passion. It is the drive based on what your skill is at. And this is what I really hate on today's social media. People are talking about, oh, well, I have 15 years in this industry, but I don't know what the hell I'm passionate about. Like, dude, or do that. If you know you're great, why don't you go make a shitload of money? Okay, take that money and go finance your passion once you find it or once you develop it. Well, this is the reason I needed to have you on the show because I love your whole mindset when it comes to businesses and money. And actually, my next question would be, what advice would you give someone who's trying to build a skill and trying to make money with their skill? And let's say they're starting from nothing. How, how can they find out what they're good at, I guess, is the question. Okay, well, there, there's no one way. There are multiple ways. And what people – okay, here's another example. When we do the training and some people that don't know my background, they're like, oh, you're so good at this. You're natural at this. I'm like, BS. You know why? Because you don't know what I had to go through for the first couple of years in order to be able to say I'm okay in public speaking. I'm not even talking about good, right? So what I consider is a skill set of mine today was, was something that I absolutely hated with passion. Right, no pun intended, to do because I didn't know how to do it well. So if somebody's looking to develop a skill, first look at what you are already good at. You gotta do an audit of yourself and you know, draw a line in the middle of the page and go left, go right, and say, you know what, on the left, here are my strengths, list them. Something that you know you're good at and something you know the marketplace is willing to pay for. And on the right side, just list down the things that you know you're not good at, but you wish to improve. For most people, it's communication, public speaking, sales, closing, relationship building, right? Networking. A lot of people are shy. That was me. You know, if you would throw me into a room of 50 or 200 people, I would, I would normally be the one standing in the corner because I would try to avoid people. And if I was ever to have a conversation, it's because they approached me because of my badge on my, you know, whatever jacket. You know, so if that's the case, and if this is something you wish to improve on, pay attention to it and go learn it. But if in my case, if I were to do that list today, and if I know I'm, I'm bad in operations, but I already know what my strength is. And for the sake of running a business, because I think like a CEO and I know what needs to be done, in this case today, like I'm talking about today, 2019, I'd rather bringing somebody in to help me with operations. But because I know what's to be expected, now I can now hold them accountable. So it's not everything that, that's on your right um, sheet of the list that uh, that's a downfall that needs to be mastered. Only the things you wish to improve and then go and improve, like spend your money and time. You're going to spend something. If you're going to pay with your time or you're going to pay with your money, one way or the other. But people that 
you know, it baffles me when people say, well, what can I possibly learn from that book? What can I possibly learn from an event? What can I possibly learn from a seminar or workshop or a class? Well, with that mindset, you're not possibly going to do squat. Yeah, and you're not going to learn anything because you're closed-minded. Exactly. So you do believe that if there's something that you're not good at and there's something you know you don't want to improve to bring on a teammate or someone to work for you to do it for you? Well, okay, here's the thing. Let me just clarify that. It's okay to not, it's okay to not be willing to improve a downfall of yours, right? Only if you understand the macro aspect of that skill set. Because if you bring somebody in to do it for you, but you don't even understand the macro, you will never hold them accountable. And that individual is going to waste your time, energy, and money. Well, that, I guess, leads me to my next question. Let's say it's a, there's someone who's a new business owner, small business owner, and has never been through the hiring process. What should business owners look for when they're looking to hire a potential team? Number one, as a business owner, let's say you're by yourself because it all starts with you, right? Before you hire a first employee, you need to understand and develop your core values as an individual. What's important to you? Okay. And how do you do that? So today you're by yourself. Let's say the goal in two years is to have 30 people working with you. Okay. What now I look at those 30 people, not as my employees that are sitting on a payroll. I need to be looking at those 30 people as my team, as my family, right? Now, every family has to have a code of ethics, a.k.a. core values in your organization. So this is the best time for you to sit down and list those things. What are the things that are very important to you in your organization that will be non-negotiable? Any, a list of three to, let's say, 10 things, 11 things, right? Uh, I'm talking about accountability, uh, trust. Uh, respect, customer service, you know, things like that. What, whatever is important to you, you list them. That, that becomes the foundation of your core values. So when you start bringing people in to do, let's say you are a marketer, you're great in going out there and acquiring new clients, but you don't know the code. You don't know how to build websites. You don't understand enough detail of analytics for Google and, you know, uh, social media metrics. Now you want to hire somebody who will do that for you. So what I would recommend, and this is my pet peeve, actually, I talk about this a lot. You need to hire a person with common values before you hire somebody with common interests. So their interest may be to get a paycheck for doing a job. Your goal as a business owner, as a visionary, should be to hire somebody who sees the long picture, the, the long vision of the business and recruit them into your culture, not into a position. The position will be filled regardless. But finding the person for the right culture, which, is, which are your uh, core values that you already put together, it is not as easy as filling the position. Does that make sense? Yes. And this is something you actually helped me with. I remember when you and I first began speaking, I had someone on my team who I've actually worked with for some time. And the issue that I ran into as someone who was building my own brand and building my own brand was 
this person and I had built a friendship and it seemed as though we had the same long-term vision, but I realized we didn't have the same values, meaning this person always wanted to be on a power trip and this person wanted to run my business and this person didn't know how to solve problems, which I think a lot of it is how do you solve problems as a team? I think that's also very important. And every time there was a problem within the business or a problem within something we were working on, it became an attitude and a personal matter where I really feel where even if you have the same beliefs and the main thing is also respect. So you can't make it personal when it's business. So if you're making a business decision, you can't have a personal argument and make it personal. Do you agree? Yes, but it depends what that personal argument is. So let me get, let me just visualize this. Right, pretend I have a whiteboard, okay. and th- this is taught at you know some of uh, the leadership classes uh, in universities. They teach this in military as well. Um, you have a whiteboard in front of you. You have draw uh, virtually draw a large circle on top. Draw a smaller circle right below that large circle, and draw a smaller circle. It's like a snowman upside down. Okay. okay. I'm actually drawing on paper. Go ahead. Okay. So, so the top circle is the vision of the organization, is of the business. It's that business itself. The middle circle is the team or the department. The third circle, which is a small circle, is the individual, the personal needs. How most companies are ran, it doesn't matter whether you have 500 employees or three employees. It starts from the bottom to the top. People are always looking to attain their personal need. They they want their needs met. Oh, how much does this position offer? What are the benefits? What am I going to do? Can I take control of that? Right? And those are all me, me, me ego-driven uh, actions. Yes. This is where the dysfunction of, of the organization starts. If you look at some of the best organizations, and I'm not even talking about corporate companies, I'm talking about military, I'm talking about sports teams, right? They run the organization. Well, if you look at uh, Southwest Airlines, if you look at Harley-Davidson, if you look at Trader Joe, companies with phenomenal work culture, you guys need to understand that it's, they weren't. They, they didn't start with thousands of employees. It started with one person with an idea. Okay, so when you study those organizations, large or small, medium doesn't matter. They work from the top down. How does that work? Is everyone even being hired at the uh, quote unquote lowest position, entry level position? They need to understand the vision, the mission, and the core values of the big circle, because that's that's priority. Because without that, if there's no priority in that, a company will go through very high attrition rate, turnover rate for employees. It's going to be a dysfunctional organization, right? And if they're not profitable enough, uh, people are going to be leaving to go seek another job. Naturally, I believe people want to stick around because they want to make sure they're making a difference. They're making a contribution. That's a natural human behavior. Circumstances, you know, push you to do otherwise. So the the business comes first, and then the team or the department comes second. Individual needs come last. So in your case, if you had that challenge with somebody else, that's, I hate to say this to you, Jackie, but it was your fault. 
right? As leaders, it's our fault to allow that to happen because we didn't paint a well enough picture for the person we're recruiting of long term. It's the same thing as dating. When people start going out, if they don't see themselves 10, 20, 30 years down the road, they lack vision. But when you don't lack vision, when you know exactly where you're going together, all the minutia and all the other garbage, right? That's irrelevant. It becomes small chit chat of an argument, but you get through it really fast. Why? Because the big picture is bigger. So let me ask. So let me ask you this: How long did that person work with you? We had worked on several projects for maybe four years, but on my brand personally, we were together for almost a year until I spoke to you and you guided me and mentored me. And then I pulled the plug and I said, you know what? In business, if it's in a situation like the one I was in with this person, as you've mentioned, I need to see the long-term vision and little situations that keep reoccurring that are just holding me back. And I'm not able to focus on the bigger picture. I had to pull the plug on this person. Right. And you said that you guys have worked on your brand together for almost a year. Correct. Okay. So let me ask you this. Were the signs of power struggle there before you realized a year into it? No, there were no, there were no signs. They were very helpful and very, if anything, they were excited and the podcast started and we were very excited as a team. We built a team, a really great team. It was me and the other guys. And so it was structured. It was this person worked for me and those two guys worked for him. So we, so I basically gave this person their own team under himself. So there was a structure to the business. So I don't have to micromanage and oversee everything. I gave this person trust. And I think that's where I went wrong as the, as someone in charge of the, the brand, because I gave someone permission to oversee certain things that when it came time for big decisions, they tried to oversee and micromanage me. There you go. You just answered a question I was about to ask. You allowed that to happen. So therefore, it is our fault as leaders because we allow those things to happen. I'm not, I cannot stand leaders that are micromanaging. Okay. All successful organizations are ran um, and led by leaders that are not micromanagers. However, you need to understand the macro aspect of a business because if you don't you cannot hold anybody accountable and when you turn over all aspects of running a particular task to somebody else without accountability accountability could be like hey listen i need to have a meeting with you once a week let's go over this do i have the same information that you do if i don't as your leader i'm screwed it is my fault I need to have the same exact information, the same exact access, the same amount of thought process, and this, the, the schematics of a system that you do because it has to come from me. If you come to my table because I'm hiring you and you bring in your own schematics of how to run things, I'm screwed. I lost the game. Does that make sense? As a leader, it is 100% my responsibility to give you a a well laid out track to run on you just have to put your shoe uh shoes on and go run but the track the track the equipment the 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 finish line 
the project line, everything has to be developed by me and given to you because I'm in control. If I don't give it to you, I'm not in control. Let's say I have a, um, a team leader who is a developer working with me, okay, that I personally recruited. He's a developer. And he brings on board uh, two other developers that are working underneath him because he's just overwhelmed. He needs to hire other people. Okay. The first developer that I'm, I'm personally responsible for that I brought in, number one, I set all the expectations. I need to give them uh, a full project line, right? And the expectations, the dates, uh, all the logins and passwords to the client's information is all in my control. They also sign off a non-compete form. All right. So a non-compete form, basically they have no right to go after my client, even if they're not like once they're no longer employed here, they cannot speak to my client uh, directly unless it's uh, approved. And that's part of the job process. Okay. Uh, even if they leave and quit this job and they go elsewhere uh, for the next, uh, let's say, I mean, it's, it's different for the next two or three years, they cannot open up their shop you know, within a five mile radius, for example, or a two mile radius. I love that you're saying this because this is something, and, and this is really big, so I want to touch up on it briefly for a second. I love that you're saying this because I feel like a lot of business owners don't protect themselves when it comes to situations like this, and they allow room or for error, meaning, and, and it happens all the time, and I'm very big on contracts, as I'm sure you know, and I believe that business owners need to be less naive when it comes to people they're hiring because there are people that will go after your clients. So I'm really glad that you said this because this is actually a real thing. It's very real. Um, I've got, uh, I got burnt by not having contracts uh, in the past, not as a business owner to employee, but I'm talking about partnerships. But even though Paperwork has its place. Number one, nobody's guaranteeing you that they're not going to violate it and you're going to end up in a you know a small court. So the route that I go, like I take care of the paperwork, but at the same time, I'm putting my money on human behavior. Here's what I mean by that. As a leader, if I'm offering them the right environment, the right vision, and room for growth, because I want everybody to grow, everyone. Like, I'll give you an example. I've taken people that came in for a front desk reception position and they ended up running an HR department for me, okay? I've hired people that are licensed skincare professionals and they ended up running a whole department for me of 30 plus people. So I always believe in growth. If there's no growth, I'm not even gonna touch that business. I mean it, right? So because I'm betting on human behavior, as a leader, if I provide the right environment for my team to thrive in, to grow and stay appreciative of, right, the, the chance I'm reducing the chances of somebody doing something malicious to me where I have to exercise the non-compete agreement. So that's why for me, relationships are much bigger than any financial contract or any contract period. If I'm not going to be a great leader, if I'm not going to build the right environment, if I don't set the right expectations, if I don't recruit them into a culture rather than into a position, if I don't do any of that stuff, 
I'm going to be the statistic where the average business owner constantly runs in into these issues. Because one of the key qualities of a good leader is intuition. They're patterns. People are predictable. If you just pay attention to their behavior, you will see it. Now, when you start tolerating something because you are afraid to replace them. I really want to get into this tolerating. Let's talk about this because I feel, I love, this is why I'm so excited you're here. Because I feel like, and I've done this, I feel like I tolerated the behavior. I tolerated it because I believed that this person was irreplaceable. Do you think that business owners run into that after running the business, let's say for five to 10 years, and let's say this was someone on their team for X amount of time, they start tolerating certain behaviors that can corrupt the business because they're afraid to go through the replacing or rehiring process. Absolutely. They go through that all the time. I'm going through it right now. I I lost one of the best writers that I had on my team. So let me ask you a better question. And I I, I only lost them uh, because they took, they were were a subcontract, they're not a full-time employee. Uh, and they took a huge project. I'm very happy for them. I'm keeping the relationship open just in case, you know, when that project is over, I want them to come back and work with me again, you know, but this is something that I need to face right now and find, uh, as great or even better replacement because I'm not going to settle for something less, but business owners, you know, go through this all the time. Yeah. Like I had people that wanted to leave because they got, you know, a $5 raise per hour. And they wanted to leave because of that. And they were the ones that were in a, in a position where like, I don't know if I'm going to get the same cultural environment if I go there. Right. And luckily for me, because of the environment that we built, that person ended up not leaving us. So let me ask you a, a good question. When does a business owner, CEO, manager, anyone that's in charge of the team, when when is it time to reevaluate an individual and say, maybe this person, maybe we shouldn't tolerate this behavior? What is the behavior to look for for someone who potentially could be toxic to the business? Well, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time it starts at the interview. Really? And yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, uh, between the two organizations, I've done over 2,300 interviews in order to hire 200 plus employees, right? So through the interviews you learn, you gotta pay attention to the questions that are coming out of their mouth. If they're a me, me, me question, then you know you're gonna have issues with that person. Chances are you will, there will be issues. Not 100%, nothing is 100%. But chances are there will be challenges with that individual if the questions they're in the interview come up are more along the lines of me, 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 okay? And mo- most recruiters, they they look past that because they think it's normal because the person, they think the person is entitled to something. Pardon my French, but nobody's entitled to shit. Okay. Not the business owner, not the employee. Nobody's entitled to anything. We get what we work for and then we keep what we can't tolerate. Can you say that last part? I really loved it. We get what we work for and you keep what you can tolerate. And you keep what you can tolerate. Exactly. So if you, can, if you don't need to tolerate something because it's not serving a purpose anymore, you need to get rid of it. Otherwise, you will end up with it. Do you believe that there's a budget a new business owner should start out with? Or are you someone who might believe in 
no risk, no reward? Uh, definitely no risk, no reward, for sure. So what, this is the biggest downfall that I see, even with the existing businesses, even with established businesses. They launch a business because they are good at what they do. Okay, and they think their quality of service or product is going to attract the customer. No, this is where you really need to pay attention. The quality of service or product is a retention tool. But what are you retaining if you cannot get them through the door? If you can't put your information in front of the right set of eyeballs, how are you planning to acquire that customer? So the biggest challenge with budgeting is that they budget for their LLC or, you know, to, to get the paperwork incorporated, uh, maybe a small office space, right? They budget for business cards and brochures and folders and whatever, stationary products. But they rarely budget on marketing. Without proper marketing, businesses will not survive. There's so many great, phenomenal products out there um, in the stores right now as we speak, but they're not doing that great in volume. Why? Because their marketing sucks. And unfortunately, there are a lot of horrible products out there that are doing really well financially because they're everywhere. There's no point of having a great product or service if nobody knows about you. So there are two things you invest in when you start off as a business owner. In yourself, constant and never-ending improvement. Constant and never-ending improvement, always. Second thing is in marketing. Okay, so when I approach um, businesses with, let's say, 100 employees, and they're like, oh, we need marketing, we need our social media presence, we need all this stuff, right? I'm like, okay, great. And as soon as I walk into their office space and I'm paying attention to the administration department or front desk, whoever is responsible for converting leads, the inbound phone calls, right? And they're horrible. They're dropping the ball every second or third call. I mean, like, okay, you're going to go spend right now 10000 a month. You're going to pay me 10000 a month. So you're out of the door 20000 a month. Yet you're converting one out of three leads. And all three leads were the same. So that's, what is it? 67% of $20,000 is out to waste. And then the business owner says, oh yeah, we've tried the marketing, but it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you haven't invested in your team. And if you're on your own, you are that team. You got to invest in yourself. You got to learn sales. You got to learn how to uh, uh, effectively work through the script. You have to have a conversion process in place. Yeah. So, so those two working internally, whether it's on yourself or on your, on your team, right, and then do the marketing, those are like the top two things you should have in your budget. Not your business cards, not your brochures, not the equipment, whatever it is that you're doing. Okay? You've got to build you. And you got to go build your marketing funnel. And, 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 th and this is another thing that I will also see with startups. Um, they're at a point where they could bring somebody on board. So let's say it's $3,000 a month in pay. And um, what they're doing is they go and invest into themselves. They read a book. They go to class. They go to a workshop because they know they have to. But that person that's working for them hasn't been upgraded in their intellectual capital for the past six months.
And then you have an issue with them why they're not doing what you promised your client to do. It's because their information is outdated. They're not properly trained. So it's so important to train your staff, your team. Yeah, to reevaluate and... Training is something you constantly do. It's not something you do once a year. It's not something you do once a month. It is something that's constantly in front of you. And then you have to be able to uh, hold them accountable. You got to measure the process. So after doing this for so many years, is there a special characteristic that you've noticed after years that there are similarities in thriving companies versus non-thriving companies? Um, Absolutely. The good CEO or the decision maker, some companies don't have a CEO. It's the, uh, the owner themselves and they have 80 people working for them or 400 people working for them. They don't have a CEO in place yet. Um, usually that process, that, that looks like if the person is a micromanager, they're more of a finance person, that company will not have a healthy culture. That's what I see. Okay. When the company is ran by a leader, that pays more attention to the human behavior, right? They're more of a Richard Branson, the the founder of Virgin. If they're like that, then the company is going to be a thriving environment. And when the employees are happy, that means the customer is going to be happy. So there's, there's an old joke. I don't know where it came from. I think somebody said it originally. I think it was Henry Ford. Um, that, it's better to have people trained and potentially they could leave rather than have people that you don't train at all and they stay. So the joke goes like this, the CFO and the CEO are sitting at a conference room table and the CFO chief financial officer is asking, you know, what if we train up people and they leave? And the CEO says, what if we don't and they stay? So, so Richard Branson is known for this. He actually uh, said that, Train your people so they can leave you, but treat your people so they wouldn't want to. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I fully believe that, fully. So that's the common thread between the uh, ownership of organizations, or even startups. People that are more into human behavior and building the team, they win. I love that. That's that. I really love that. Let me ask you a question because in the beginning of the interview, this is something you said you went to college because you thought it was something you were supposed to do. Because I feel like when it comes to business, the best way to learn it is through experience. So, do you agree that someone who might be a college student who doesn't feel it's good for them, they should go, go into the real world? As someone who went to college, as someone who comes from a family who values education very, very highly, uh, but also someone who dropped out, and as someone who worked in corporate America and built his own businesses, and also as someone who is a father of two girls growing up, I may have very conflicting feelings about college education. So I partly do agree with you, what you just said, business management, marketing, uh, you know, communications. I'm like, Really? You know, take your money and do something better with it. Yeah. However, however, of course, if you're a doctor and I'm, you know, please go to school and get yourself educated because <laughs> I will not be able to see you if I need help. 
if if you're a CPA, if you're an accountant, like I know bookkeepers that didn't finish college and they're really good with numbers. So it all depends, but it's a cash 22 when somebody says, yeah, I need to go to business management. Well, yeah, yeah, the best experience is the actual experience. However, if that person does not have the intention of running a business, that person will most likely not get a job in corporate America without a degree. That's how the system is structured, unfortunately. Yes. Right. So it's like the, the, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. So that's why they're brainwashed to go. We've been, I've been brainwashed, brainwashed to go to school and get that education. Why? Because I never thought running a business has never crossed my mind. So it was always like, okay, I need a degree to get a job. So here's what happened. I got a quote unquote real job working by Wall Street, you know, for Lockheed Martin, who's in the top two, I think, defense companies globally at the age of 19. So did I need to go back to college? No, but I did it anyway, right? Eventually I quit only because, and here's why I quit. Here's why I left. Because at that moment when I made a decision not to pursue college anymore, I realized in my heart of hearts that I will never work for anybody else ever again. I think what you said was so important. It, it, was, it was a decision, but it was my decision. Like I came to a point where, listen, I'd rather live in a box under a bridge for a few months, but get what I want rather than work for somebody else. Now that was, that was my decision. Unfortunately, majority of the world doesn't operate that way. So if I'm, if I'm talking to my kid um, who's about to go to college, would I encourage him to go to school? I would, and here's why. Not because she's going to base her future or success or whatever you, um, you know, equate success to based on college, but it not for two reasons. Number one, I need her, which number one is the biggest reason why I wanted to go to college for the networking opportunities. So the better college she'll enroll to the better quality of, um, people should I say, right. She'll be networking with the better family she'll be able to uh, network with. So net relationships are your money today. Yeah. So what you're exposed to your environment will say a lot about your future. That this is why people that don't like to go to networking events, don't like to go to seminars, don't like to go to and put themselves out there. They're normally the ones that will never hit their financial potential. Okay. And I mean that this is not like I'll, I'll I want to say it's my opinion, but I believe in it so much. I'm willing to die for that truth. People that are not willing to put themselves out there, they will always be limited on their financial possibilities because, because the money they need and they want to make is in somebody else's pocket. Money comes from people. It doesn't come from an ATM. Okay? So when a person understands that, that means you need to be a networker, a professional networker. College gives you that great um, experience. Number two, for the sake of being well more rounded, because most people are not going to surround themselves with 500 books and read them over the course of two years or four years. That's not the reality for most people. So my daughter, who's 11 today, she's already ingrained in her mind that she's going to be running her own business, right? Why? Because I cannot tell her what to do. I can only show her what to do because kids pay attention to what we do, not to what we say. Exactly. But 
why would I still want her to go to college? I'm not going to force her to go, but I'm going to encourage her to go because it's a piece of education. Um, I think Mark Twain said it, or somebody said it. Uh, don't let you don't let your school get in the way of education. Yeah, and 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 this is something I spoke um, on episode six with somebody about. Where, and this is the only reason why I personally I'm not against it, and but I'm not so much for it in terms of business when it comes to college. Uh, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, or for some reason, you know, you need college for a specific degree, because because it's something like that that quote, you can pretty much self teach yourself anything in today's day and age. You really Absolutely. could self teach yourself. We have the internet, we have books, we have YouTube. You know, you could self teach yourself and then get out there and become the best version of yourself. Absolutely, you can. The question is. How many people are willing to? I know adults. I know adults. (laughs) Exactly. I know adults, even family members. They know they need to do something different. They know they need to, uh, they deserve better. But, oh my God, they wouldn't fucking pick up a book. Pardon me for, you know, I don't know if you're allowing cursing here. You can edit it later if you want. But they wouldn't even pick up a book to read something that's going to improve themselves. So reality is this, people naturally are lazy unless you're self-driven or you have that fire in your belly that you, you need to make it happen or you make a decision. Like the definition of this, I talk about this a lot, the definition of decision is the opposite of incision. What does a surgeon do? They do an incision. Incision means going inward. A decision is the opposite. That means you're cutting away from. So unless you decide to cut away from all the crap over the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years that you've been living and, and the next, you know, X amount of years is going to be different, nothing will change. Nothing. Because they don't make a decision. Most people will not make that decision. This is why I believe that, you know, going to the traditional methods of education is important for them because otherwise they're not going to make it. And that's the sad truth. They have the potential to but they won't. So it's a more of a personality. It's more, it's a very individual um, question. Okay. I, I can agree with that. So let's do a rundown for anyone listening, the the proper structure for a business and. Um, the proper rundown of a business. Number one, start with yourself, invest in yourself, never stop investing in yourself. Um, if you have the intention of running your vocation your profession as an actual business with employees with team not just by yourself so that means you need to have a core value list that you need to operate on and they need to be non-negotiable i mean even hell even if you're operating by yourself and never intend on hiring anybody else you need that code of ethics because this is something can, can can you just give me a few examples just in case someone listening might not understand what you're referring to Okay. So for me, for example, one of the things is transparency. The name of my company is called Unplugged Influence. Unplugged stands for transparent, being unplugged, right? You're not filtered. You're unfiltered. You're raw. So it's leadership through transparency. I'm very transparent with my clients. I always tell my clients, I'd rather lose you as my client for telling you what you don't want to hear Rather than wasting your time here for four months and then you saying, you know what, we can't work anymore because these things are not working out. 
So if I'm going to lose a client, I need to lose them on my terms. So I'm very transparent with my clients. I tell them what they don't want to hear, but something they need to hear. Guess what? Not everybody's happy. But so far, using that principle, I haven't lost a client. Knock on wood. Not to say that I won't in the future, but so far I haven't. Because transparency is one of the core values for me in my business with my customers. Number two, customer satisfaction. Number three, um, it's self-accountability. Self-accountability meaning like if I know things should be done better, I don't need to be told to do it better. Uh, I have a team, you know, and we're in the office and let's say they walk out of the bathroom and they see uh, something laying on the floor and they walk over that, they're in violation of that rule. They're not self-accountable. Does that mean they have to be told to pick it up or they're waiting for the cleaning crew to come in in the evening to clean it up? So there's certain things in my core values that are non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Okay. Okay. And that's the code of ethics you need to operate on. That builds the, that's the core of your cultural development. So invest in yourself, build a team around you. Definitely invest into marketing before you do anything else. After you invest in yourself, the second thing you invest to is in marketing. Then you invest into staff. Because some people do acquire staff and they hire people just because they have the budget for it. Let's say they took out a small business loan and they want to bring in an employee, right, to do some, you know, administration work. My, again, this is my opinion, but I've done it a few times already. I would look at that as that's lunacy. Why would you bring somebody on board if you haven't had gotten a client yet? Yes, I, I do love that. But let no. me ask a very interesting question that I think I forgot to ask earlier. Would you hire someone who's really great at what they do, but their personality is wishy-washy, opposed to would you hire someone who might still need to learn the skill a little bit, but they're a better individual? Yeah, the latter. So you would you would hire the second person. I'm gonna br- yeah, I'm gonna bring somebody on board who believes in what I believe in, and they have the commitment and stickability. They don't bail and flake out on their commitments, but willing to learn. I'll make sure they will learn either through me or I'm gonna enroll them into courses, give them books, send them to a seminar. I'll pay for it. You know, I'm gonna invest in them because they have shown commitment and they see the long term vision. Rather than somebody who's very skillful coming in and they're prima donna, they, they think their poop don't, you know, doesn't stink and they think they know everything. They don't want to read a book. They don't want to go to you know, a seminar. They don't, they don't invest in themselves. Not only that, they're not willing to invest in themselves, even though it's not their dollar that's being spent. Right? I don't want that kind of person on my team. I don't care how much you know. You, you, I, I need to know that you actually care where we're going. Okay. So uh, invest in yourself, number two, invest in marketing. Third, invest in your staff. So you need to do a breakdown analysis at what point you could bring somebody in. At what point can you rent an office? If you're a startup, I'd rather much have, uh, let's say, you know, I have five, six clients pay me whatever you guys charge. I don't know what business you're in. But let's say I'm, I'm profitable and now you're edging to open up an office. I'd rather bring in a subcontractor who's local, not overseas, but who's local, okay, to help you with some of the work. Go out, get a new client, have that new client after you bring in your first employee, right, or an employee, subcontractor, 
um, and then go rent this office space. Bring somebody in on your team, even as a subcontractor, before you go spend money on the office. Because office will not make you money. Your performance and customer service will. So you, you, you need to understand how that whole business development concept works. When you have an office, make sure you're not the only one sitting there with a subcontractor, you know, 10, 15 miles away from you. Make sure when you do get an office, you're capable financially, you know, able and willing to hire your first employee. I'm talking about full-time somebody, uh, even if it's part-time, but you want to make sure they're there with you because if you're not face-to-face with the people you're paying to get the job done, you're not building an actual team. How can people find you on social media? Uh, it's my full name, Rafael Mavi, R-A-P-H-A-E-L, Mavi, M-A-V-I. I'm on Instagram, on uh, Facebook, uh, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Uh, most active on LinkedIn and Instagram. Tell everyone about your new podcast. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> I love this new project. Uh, it's called the You Influence, and uh, we just launched it two and a half weeks ago. And uh, originally, I thought about it. I took the You from Unplugged, which is my company name, and then as I started going down the list of topics to discuss and the guests that I actually um have on a podcast. I'm like, you know what? This has got to be more than just for business owners. It's got to be for everybody. So we turned the U into a letter U, which stands for Y-O-U. And that means you as an individual, whether you realize it or not, you get to influence people and in uh, events around you for the positive or the negative. And as a result, that's, that's a result of you being influenced all your life, which actually has an influence on your decision-making process as an adult. Same goes for school, same goes for, you know, selecting a career or opening a business or the type of person to marry or to start dating, you know, right? It's all part of the influence. So the whole podcast is revolved around influence, things, people, events. And I love that. So you guys definitely check him out, find him on social media, listen to the podcast. I was actually on an episode. Really, really great podcast. I really love it. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much again for tuning in to Stupid Wise Girl, the podcast. Please hit the subscribe button and leave a good rating and a review. I love you guys so much.